Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Horn Call podcast. My name is James Bolden. I'm the publications editor for the International Horn Society and your host. Today, we have a really wonderful interview with a young hornist named Yasmine Richards. She is a Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia-based freelance musician. Uh, She recently graduated with a master's degree from the Peabody Conservatory, where she studied with Denise Tryon, and she is the president of the newly founded Chromatic Brass Collective. And this podcast uh, is due to come out about the middle of August. So if you're listening to this now, you have heard Chromatic Brass Collective's performance at the recent IHS 53, or at least I hope that you have. If you haven't had a chance to take a look and listen to all of the wonderful content um, hosted by IHS 53, it's my understanding that it is going to remain online for IHS members for a certain amount of time after the uh, symposium. So if you didn't catch their performance during the actual symposium, I certainly hope that you will. I had a really great time talking with Yasmin. She's a a brilliant, driven, energetic person with a lot of wonderful ideas. Um, And she was willing to share a little bit of her time talking about uh, her background and how she came to be where she is and doing the things that she's doing. So uh, without further delay, on to my conversation with Yasmin Richards. Yeah, th- thanks for being here today. I, I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. I'm excited. I'm excited to speak with you too. Yeah, so Yasmin, if, if we could start today, I think it would be good for you to share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself and your personal journey in music and, and otherwise, if you want to share that and just kind of how you ended up where you are and, and what it is that you're doing right now. Yeah, um, awesome. So I am originally from the Bay Area, from Mm -hmm. Bay Area, so Oakland, um, California, and I grew up moving, moving around a lot. I moved between the Bay Area, Los Angeles County, general, and um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. (laughs) So, oh wow, yeah, we moved a lot growing up, um, and I think that sort of influenced the way that I look at the world because there's a lot of different. I mean, cultures in between, in between those states. So, so, so yeah, so moving around really sort of taught me different cultures and the way that they look at different things within those cultures, namely blackness and being a woman and all these kinds of things, you know, and, um, and it really sort of informed that view. So we moved around a lot and then ended up sort of landing in Southern California, um, going from sixth grade on. And, um, I stayed there and that was great. It was, um, I went, it was, I was in LAUSD, which is, I think, I don't know if it's the largest, the second largest school district in the country um, mm-hmm. and has, has been historically underfunded depending on where you're talking about. So, and that's where I was. <laughs> so it was also a lot of cutting the music programs, conversations. It was a lot of things like that. And okay. I had always sort of felt like it was such a privilege to sort of even be in the room of a French horn or in the room of all these kinds of instruments, you know? So on top of that, to know that that was being cut for other people, that that really sort of, you know, wasn't awesome. And my school was fortunate in that, I guess we just had a well 
like a well-known middle school music program. So it sort of kept going, but that wasn't the case for other schools. Mm -hmm. um, so, and this was around 2008-ish, 10 or eight-ish, nine-ish when people were sort of cutting a lot of arts funding. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that, and I uh, kind of got brought up in that. So my grandfather actually plays a saxophone. Okay. Um, yeah, he, my grandfather plays a saxophone. He plays all saxophones. So I grew up sort of listening to him play jazz a lot. I would grow up to mm -hmm. him you know, doing scales. I would wake up at like, you know, 7 a.m. to, you know, just saxophone. Eight. And I really wanted to play saxophone because I was like, oh, he can do it. And this looks awesome. And he can help me, you know. Um, so I was put in, you know, I was put in wind band and I was not happy about that because prior to the saxophone, I wanted to do the violin, but you know. And so, you know, making, you know, lemons out of lemonade, I was like, yeah, I'll put on the saxophone. And so we had to choose like three different instruments that we wanted. And I think the French horn was actually an extra credit one. Oh, okay. That nobody really knew about. So <laughs> I chose like the flute, the trombone and the saxophone. Personally, I thought it was great at the saxophone. Um, I was terrible at the flute, couldn't get a sound out, still can't. And I ended up choosing the French horn as an extra credit because my friend chose it and I didn't want mm. like in the section uh well it turned out we were the only like three people in the band that could make a sound on the french horn that didn't sound you know like you know clams <laughs> <laughs> yeah consistent yodeling um and so so we were put on that and that was you know I had been put on the French horn from seventh grade and then on and I did not like PE in high school and they said marching band uh, PE credits. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was in marching band all the way through there and then went to UCLA after that. Um, I had not really had private lessons uh, until the end of my junior year of high school. I didn't uh -huh. really know that that was a possibility um, until I had sort of talked to my teacher and he actually put me in contact with Annie. Um, so it was the end of my junior year. And then <laughs> she, you know, puts me in this world is like, you know, if you're going to do it, let's do it. So then I'm in, you know, horn camp. I'm at Idlewild. I'm doing all these things that I'm like, what? This is a whole world that it seems like other people have been in for a while. Uh -huh. um, and so she sort of kind of pieced me together and was like, let's put you together and hopefully you'll come out with an acceptance letter, you know? Um, and then that's sort of what had happened. Um, but I do think that not having lessons for that long and then being around kids that did sort of mm, affected my self-esteem because I felt like I was behind for a mm. lot of it. And I felt like I was behind for reasons that I were kind of beyond my control. I was behind because I just didn't know that that was a possibility, you know? Sure. Um, so, so then upon getting into UCLA, it was a big deal. Cause I had only at that point been studying for, I think just under a year, uh -huh. um, which now as a teacher, I know that that's a big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, after getting in UCLA, I, you know, that's where I started studying with Aunt, a Amy. That's where I started studying with Amy Sanchez. Okay. Um, and you know, just, you know, studied really honed in on the craft, did a lot of practicing, a lot of practicing. Um, and really just sort of learned about what it feels like to be in the space of, you know, classical music orchestra. The longer that I was in it, the more I felt like I was sort of not given opportunities in at the level that I felt like other people around me were. Um, mm. There were, you know, scholarship discrepancies and things that I felt like were a little bit unfair for me as a person. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a lot of them came from the fact that I had only 
studied for a year. So in my oh. mind, I was like, if I had two years, if I had one year, I could have done this. I could have done this, you know, but it's like, you can't control that at, at 16, 17. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, and I started college at 16 because I've oh. up a Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what um, what was that process like? I'm sorry to stop you and we'll definitely pick up pick up from here, but I wanted to just kind of ask you, you know, I, I see a lot of college uh, pre-college students, you know, high school juniors and seniors in, in my job as a, a, at a teaching at a university. And that's such a difficult decision for them, you know, they really fret over like, well, what do I want to major in? And is this something I can make into a career? You know, parents are always concerned about, well, are you going to be able to pay your bills as a music major? Why would you go into music? And, it, you know, for me, I try to, you know, try to understand that decision-making process as much as possible to try to, to help students, you know, end up on a path that that's going to be successful for them, whatever that may be. It may not be in music, maybe accounting or something else, but, um, what, what was that decision process like for you at a certain point, music went from this activity you did because it's fun and you enjoy it to, I want to, I want to do this for, a, you know, potential career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so because I had, you know, my grandfather played saxophone, there was already sort of an energy of musicians in my family. Uh -huh. um, we are not a family that comes from a lot of means, but we are a family that has a lot of artists. In uh -huh. that, that's how my family's always been. So I never really felt afraid to pursue art in that way. Mm -hmm. um, because of my mother always sort of brought me up to lead with what you love and then whatever if you do that everything else will the money will follow if you mm -hmm. love and passionate about what that thing is um so it wasn't really that difficult in the moment <laughs> I, uh -huh. think, I think in hindsight though I think what I really ended up doing, it's funny because I just had this conversation with the student. I really just led with like my dream. Like, I think that's something that a lot of kids don't really have the privilege of doing anymore. I think because we're so, you know, dis disheartened slash, you know, jaded with student loans, with all these other things, the magic and the fun of college has really, has really gone away, you know? And, yeah. and initially, I mean, I remember growing up and being like, I really want to go to Harvard. Like that was like my thing. You know, um, uh -huh. I didn't care about the tuition. I didn't care about <laughs> anything. And now, I'm, you know, but the out of state, what? I don't even know what that is, you know, but right. to, to lead with what you love and then to have also the other requirements that you need, you need the money or aspect, you need the, you know, academic mm -hmm. aspect and to really average it out rather than choosing one or the other. I think that sure. Was yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of variables in the equation, especially with how expensive college is now. It's uh, it's just incredibly expensive. What what was what was it like studying at UCLA? What was the 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 music program like there? The music program at UCLA was good. It was budding at that time. It was uh -huh. very much sort of in this period of transition um, because I think they got a pretty big endowment my last year, and they became okay. like official and I think an official school of music. Okay my last year prior to just being in the school of arts and architecture I think um so it was good it was in a constant state of transition at that time so one year it was something a little bit different and then we're like oh my god we have a recording studio and then the next year we're like oh we have a rehearsal space you know it was, it's every year we would come back and it would be like a different awesome thing oh how um, exciting that is amazing yeah 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 <laughs> it, it sort of was like that and um you know you come back over the summer and you're like oh okay well I guess we have a state-of-the-art you know blank blank um but it was great to the extent 
extent that we, it was small and I had a great time really getting to know everybody. There was a really good community at UCLA specifically mm-hmm. school of music. I think it was only at that time, maybe like 300 kids or something like that. So mm-hmm. everybody really knew each other really well. And I think that really helped me stay accountable with practicing and with all these other kinds of things, because it's like, well, my friend's practicing. So I'm either going to eat lunch alone or <laughs> like sure, <sit> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sit here and you know eat lunch in a practice room. And if I'm already in a practice room, well, I might as well just practice, you know. Right, uh, right. So yeah, that was really cool. And they also did a lot of um, like cool contemporary music stuff because like Gloria Chang is on staff there. So I did some contemporary flux stuff that was really awesome that I don't think I would have had as much of an experience depending on the other school I would have gone to. Um, and they had a really awesome outreach program. They had the, I think, Gluck Outreach Fellows, Fellowship Program or Gluck Outreach Program. Um, and it was great. We basically made a woodwind quintet and we just, you know, toured around Los Angeles. And it was really- Oh, that sounds awesome. It was really awesome. So we, we were in charge of making our own program. We had to make basically everything. We had to structure the concerts and everything like that. And it really helped in hindsight to do what I'm doing now, so. Yeah, what what an amazing opportunity to like put together those skills in like entrepreneurship and organization. And that's really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And we got to learn about, you know, okay, for this audience, versus this audience for kids versus this, I learned to give kids more credit as far as what they like to listen to. Children can be amazingly perceptive. I think they're, they don't get bogged down with so much of the stuff that gets in our way as as adults right they're just kind of like no filter <laughs> in in the best way and sometimes in the worst way <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. so they're just like i just like how it sounded and i'm like all right you know that's, yeah. that's what it's about so absolutely well that's cool well how did how did you end up moving to the east coast then from from southern california out out to peabody yeah, um, very, very big change in everything. Um, I So I really wanted to go to Peabody. I wanted to go to Peabody, I think, all the way from my junior, sophomore year of college. Okay. Um, I went to, I was the a volunteer at IHS, I think, 47. I think 47 was the one in Los Angeles. Um, or, yeah, oh, I was at that one, yeah. Yeah, in yeah. 20, in 2015, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I, I really, you know, ran around following Annie being like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you mm. need? Okay, like, so uh, you're the one, you're one of the ones that made that such an awesome IHS. Like, in my memory, that that's up there with just such an amazing experience. It really know? was. It really was. And like, I was, I, I, you know, I was talking to Annie because I mean she had sort of been my mentor all the way from 2011 so I, when she got the bid to do it and she was in, she was doing it you know and building it and I remember being like you know the t-shirts you know well, yes me what do you think about the t-shirts there do you think you know it was just I was just I really loved helping her or just watching her put it all together this like huge thing you know mm-hmm. um so so I was sort of running around with her all the time whether it was signing people in because I was <laughs> smart to the extent that I put I can do anything under the volunteer sheet and I didn't know that meant page turning that was (laughs) yeah I wasn't I didn't know that they would actually take me up on that one right there so (laughs) I actually ended up page turning for a recital for Denise Tryon and Stefan Dorr okay yeah I was at that recital yeah yeah yeah, and I was terrified (laughs) oh my goodness uh, I think I only page turned for Denise Tryon and then uh-huh. 
Stefan had his own like person or if he was doing it by heart, I don't even know. Um, but I definitely did it for Denise. And I remember just being backstage with Denise Tryon and Stefan Dor, and they're just, you know, talking and doing all that. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, this is, this is wild. You know, I'm just like 17. Um, so, and I remember, I thought Denise was like super, super cool. Like she is, she's a really like personable person and just like a really memorable presence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it really stuck with me, her presence. And I remember figuring out that she worked at Peabody. I don't think that she even told me um, cause she might not have even known at that time that I was a horn player. Uh-huh. So, um, so, I kind of really wanted to study with her. And then on top of that, I really wanted to move out of Los Angeles because I'd been there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really feel that the culture of Los Angeles really correlated with like my personal identity by the time that I got to the end of UCLA. It's a very awesome city, but it's a city that's very image. <laughs> I mean, that's that's LA, right? Sure. Yeah, it's Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, that's just yeah. that's just a fact. So whatever looks best is definitely gets a little bit further ahead in LA, which is awesome. And at the same time, that's not necessarily what I was wanting to do at the time. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of really awesome freelancing stuff sort of because of that. And at the same time, I wanted to move somewhere where more people looked like me, where there were more black people. And uh-huh. then on top of that, I wanted to move somewhere that was a little bit more grounded. Yeah, because LA is very easy to like, it's LA. I mean, it's a, it's a set, it's a giant set. Yeah. And I had been, you know, disheartened by the traffic and by just all of it. And this was in the rise of TikTok and Instagram. So that whole culture kind of came rolling in and I was like, and that ro- rolled in and I rolled out. That's basically sure. what happened. So, um, so I ended up auditioning for a couple different schools, but all places like, you know, Chicago, um, Baltimore, I think one school in New York, cities that I felt like had a little bit more of a um, foundation of blackness in that okay. city. Um, and so I, you know, chose Peabody because uh, it had Denise and it also had the city that I wanted and sort of the right. So, that's well, that's cool. No, that's awesome. And you're you're still you're still based in that area, Baltimore, DC, Baltimore. Maryland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. What? Well, um, what was that process like? And this is always a, you know, I talk about the students making the decision at the high school level, getting into college. Another really interesting phase of, of that whole process is when students move from the end of their schooling into like professional life. And it, it's really exciting, but it's also kind of scary and terrifying and all of those things. So what has that been like for you moving from basically, you know, being a full-time student, um, you know, but then, you know, maybe doing some career things as well, but then now you're finished with school and now you're out kind of doing your own thing. It's, it's been, it's been great. I mean, it's been freeing for me. Uh Um, I think, I think it's tough when you do school back to back, when you go straight from high school to college to graduate school, I did it that way because I felt like I needed to do it that way, but that's not something that I would recommend to everybody. You know, I think Uh that I could have also benefited from a break. Uh Um, So, you know, it's, it's whatever person's own thing for me, I wanted the, to keep the momentum. That was sort of why I just went straight through, but um, I would say it's a great thing to go straight through. If you're a little bit unsure about what that reality is going to look like. Uh Masters is great to delay real life. It is. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and at the same time, what I would have liked to have done was gone into it with real life in mind, because I think I sort of went into it just thinking about, yay, I'm getting my master's degree and it's, you know, Denise Tryon and it's, you know, Peabody and it's all these great things. I didn't think about like, okay, but there's only two years in this situation. Right. What are you going to do afterwards? You know? Um, so, so yeah, I would say the transition has been freeing because a lot of classical music for me was, um, sort of being told what to do, being told how to play, being told this is how this should go, you know, this is how everybody does the the pause at the beginning of Beethoven 3 and then you right. talk to somebody else and then they're like, there's actually no pause and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know. Um, you know? <laughs> 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 like, at least for me, I'm like, I still, um, it depends. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it was freeing because I didn't have to be told how a thing should go. But that mm -hmm. also is daunting because you have to be confident in your own musical decisions. You yeah. Know? So so it was it's it was great for me, but also scary because I did have to, you know, go through a year. I mean, this is my second year out. So I went through a year of sort of being a little bit disheartened with the career and not really wanting to do it anymore. So, you know, it gave me time to fall back in love with it. And mm -hmm. I think that when you're in school, you're just so inundated with school, it becomes work. I mean, it becomes an assignment and then you, you lose track of why you did this. You lose track of the why. And right. I think one great thing about being out of school, if you allow it to, is it helps you find that why again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also had, you know, like everybody else, we had to deal with COVID and the shutdown of things. And I think, you know, let, let's try to maybe tie this in. So I, I want to talk about this awesome organization that that you founded and that you're the president of the Chromatic Brass Collective. So I was reading on the website that this kind of came out of COVID-19 in some ways, but then also wanting to form an organization for a group of people that you that didn't have representation or representation to the extent that that they should in, in classical music. So Talk a little bit about that process and how you and the other members of the organization found each other. And, you know, I'm always interested in that. And I think for people out there that want to do those kinds of things, I think they have the ideas and they have the passion, but they are like, well, I don't even know where to start. You know, that, that kills a lot of projects before they even get off the ground. So I think hearing from someone like you, who's actually done it and is off and running and doing an awesome job, I think that that would be really helpful for other people who might want to do similar kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had, um, we were put together for the Common Ground series, and it was a, a series about Black women and women of color and non-gender binary people of color. I think it was specifically focusing on Black. Um, we were put together for a discussion on our experiences in classical music. And this, this was in the wake of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So this was also when everything was at a head in June, I think. Um, right. There was a lot of protests, there was a lot going on, and there was a lot of dissenting opinions depending on who you're talking to and talking about. And one thing that we, we were all sort of on the Zoom, we had all really came to this conclusion that we all feel just sort of uncomfortable in this career. It was, it was kind of remarkable to hear all these stories that for me felt like they existed in a vacuum. It felt like a story that only I was experiencing and a reality that it was just me. And then, you know, see these, you know, 12, nine, whatever it was, other women, like, this is also what I went through. I'm like, what? You know, this is, it's not just me. That's crazy. Um, so on top of, you know, just being like, oh my God, this sucks that we're all going through this. It was really beautiful to just like hear, you know, you, 
from another perspective. And I think mm -hmm. that that's something that we all really, really appreciated. And from that, um, I think the decision to sort of transition into a, an ensemble that we can that we can control the things that make us feel the way that we do about classical music was sort of a natural sort of progression. You know, we had all sort of wanted to do it, but nobody wanted to say it. So then we all sort of, so, so because we had already been put together, we're like, all right, well, we already have a group chat, let's keep going, you know? Um, and so that's, that's sort of how that went. Um, and it was about, I think like seven or eight women um, that all came together and just started building this thing. And, and we had the idea over the summer of creating a collective rather than a specific ensemble because we wanted something that that would, that every single person, regardless of their skill, would be able to feel and see themselves in. That was a really important mm. thing. Um, because even though at times I would see myself in, you know, Velvet or Nikki Cash or all these awesome people, I wouldn't because in my mind, the talent wasn't there. But in my mind, that that is because of the confidence. You know, you don't see yourself sure. in people if you don't see yourself in people, you know. Um, so we wanted to make an ensemble that did that and that we could connect professionals and connect, you know, Velvets and we could connect all these awesome seasoned people with people that are a little bit younger than me, you know, people sure. that are in high school and, or really in college. Um, so, so that was sort of how we came up with the idea of a collective rather than a like set ensemble. We, if we had a collective, we could sort of put, pull from the collective into the ensemble, if that makes sense. So no, that makes perfect. It can be what it needs to be for whatever situation. Yeah. That's so that's what we wanted. So if we had an outreach concert, since we're all over the country, if we had an outreach concert in Chicago, we could call the people in the collective that are in that area and they could mm. there if we had, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So it would be multiple ensembles at once under the umbrella of the collective rather than the other way around. So that was sort of how we came up with that idea. And um, we sort of, you know, made it all online. I think we, we started through pretty sure Facebook Messenger. That was how, where we came up with the name and the logo was that. Mm -hmm. um, and then everything else was moved on to Slack. And that's pretty uh -huh. much what we've been using ever since. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, and we have, you know, weekly meetings and all, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you had more questions. About no, that. no, that, that, that's excellent. And the website is lovely. Let me make sure I, I have the web address and I'll put it in the show notes. Chromaticbrass.org is the, the website and it's beautiful. It's a really lovely website. The logo looks great. I mean, this is to, to have put something like this together so quickly. I mean, not to, not to single out any one organization or any one single institution, but this is, things often move very slowly. People love to get together and talk about doing something and then it never gets done. So I, I am incredibly inspired that you made this happen and you, you did it. And, you know, lots of other folks might just be talking about it still and not actually making it happen. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's really just the, the passion of each individual person and sort of really um, understanding that we're building our careers when we build this. We're not mm -hmm. just building an ensemble. We're not just building a collective. We're building our futures. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we all sort of came to the conclusion of or that a lot of us did after that initial, you know what I mean, um, Zoom conversation was that, you know, 
currently as it stands, there is no space that we feel safe playing this instrument, that we feel like our voices are heard, that we feel like there are no preconceived notions or any racism, any misogyny, anything like that in an ensemble for us. We really all realize like we don't have a place to, to play, you know? So I think the, the want and the fire that is building this so quickly is coming from that place of like, I want to play in this. Like, that's for me how it is. And like, I want to build it already so I can be in the collective, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. And kind of tying into that, I want to step back just a little bit and talk about, um, you know, what, what were your influences, either horn playing music or otherwise, you know, as you were coming up through the educational process, and then, you know, now you're a young professional with this organization, who, who are those that you look to, to, to be inspired by, and that you kind of want to, you know, perhaps model aspects of your career on? So my mom, that's number one, the way that she leads with what she loves, mm -hmm. and leads with love first, is really, really amazing. And that is like in my Yasmin Richards mission statement, you know, tattooed on the back of my head or something. But that, <laughs> so that, um, outside of that, definitely Annie Bossler, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, she has been so inspiring in how she's been able to do what she wants to do, but still horn, like it's still horn oriented. Mm -hmm. um, I always say like growing up, I only thought there were like two paths for French horn, you know what I mean? Like orchestral or teaching and orchestral right. under the umbrella is like freelancing. Um, and now what I really love about Annie is Annie really showed me that that's not true. You know what I mean? She does mm -hmm. so many different things. I mean, she put together IHS, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, but still through French horn. So I think definitely Annie, um, you know, playing quality wise, absolutely. You know, Denise Tryon, I mean, her playing is just killer. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She sounds like a million bucks. That's she for sure. She absolutely so, does. And it yeah. would be like every lesson at 9 a.m. Just boom, 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 boom. And I'm just <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the commitment, like where, you know, the talent. Um, so yeah, definitely her playing wise. Um, I, and Annie pedagogically as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also say, um, I'd also say Beyonce. Obviously she's not my individual mentor, you know, but um, from a larger standpoint of just being unapologetically a black woman, really secure in that and not apologizing for that, regardless mm -hmm. of what other people say. So I, I, I really appreciate that about her. Um, and then I would say, yeah. And I would say, honestly, like activism wise, just a host of radical activists, to be quite honest. I, mm -hmm. I think, and, and Black Panthers, you know, Angela Davis, Claudette Colvin. I mean, she wasn't about a Black Panther, I don't think. But, you know, just by any means necessary as a concept <laughs> was mm -hmm. also something that was really important to me. So, you know, we're going to we're going to make this collective. It doesn't matter. I don't care. We have to do it. I don't care what anybody says. By any mm -hmm. means necessary, this thing needs to happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there, there's people, there's always reasons not to do something. And I think that's one thing I try to, to get across to my students is whatever it is that you want to do, there's always going to be a million reasons not to do it, but you have to stay focused on the one or two reasons that, that drive you, that, that make you want to do something, whatever that something is. Yeah. And I think, you know, I also started, you know, teaching a lot more and I started teaching kids from Baltimore. So there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. socioeconomic situations mm -hmm. um and 
that's something that I would have to tell them that, you know, um, and once you, once you teach something, you know, you can't be a hypocrite. You have to follow what you teach, which right. is hard <laughs> sometimes. Yep. yep. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh, right. I wasn't breathing. Oh, right. You know, like, <laughs> like I told you to. Um, so, so yeah, I would say they, a lot of them, the students that I just, you know, interacted with, I was an all boys school music teacher for a year. It was rough, but. Oh, wow. Was- yeah, yeah it was, I bet you have some awesome stories. Ooh, I have some stories, yeah. But it was <laughs> it was great though. It it sort of taught me that. I mean, it it really inspired me to be like, okay, so at the end of the day, they have to like this. Like they mm-hmm. have to really like they have to feel this thing. That's you know, music. Like the that was what the boys really felt. They just loved music. It didn't matter what kind of was, and like that really more almost more than anything taught me a lot it's like so this can be a chore this can feel like all these things but if you don't have that core of just I really just love this thing you know we have to reevaluate you know what we're doing in this career and when where we're going so I would say a lot of them really inspire me too now the the organ uh, collect uh, chromatic brass is is up and running and so hopefully we are nearing the end of this COVID thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but everybody, there's there's an optimism now, obviously, that wasn't here six months ago, 10 months ago. So I I am excited by that, but also like super cautious. I'm like, come on, let's let's do this right. Let's not end up back where, where we were. Um, but what what are you guys planning and what what's your group uh, you know looking forward to in the future? What what have what have you got coming down the pike? Yeah, so um, so we have some um, music that we're going to release in the middle of May, about May 10th, May, t- May 18th. We want to wait until all the audio and everything is done. Sure. As you know, it takes a second. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to say a specific date because who knows how long it's going to take him to do that. So, so yeah, so we have that coming down mid-May. Um, and then in the greater or in a little bit further out, we have IHS 53, which is super exciting. And we're super excited about that one right there. Oh, it's like my dream. Um, and then um, we will be appearing at the, or our debut concert will be at the IWBC conference in May next year. So so that's, that's coming up. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have some other stuff that we, you know, we have in the works sort of wanting to do like a composer competition, you know, all these other kinds of things. So that's, that's what we have a brewing right now. <laughs> that's really exciting. Um, and, ch- and chamber music has been something that sustained me and fed my musical soul. So to kind of maybe sort of wrap things up, maybe we could talk about what it's been like reception wise you know, it's, it's, it's up to you how, if you want to talk about, you know, the positives and the negatives, any, any sort of roadblocks you may have run into as far as getting this thing going and, and how you overcame them. And then also, you know, places that were supportive of what you're doing, you know, organizations or individuals, any, anybody you want to, uh, you know, shout out to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would say the biggest roadblock is just that we're not together. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that the biggest roadblock has been 2020 as a, as a year. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just, I just, I don't think I'm alone in that one right there. But um, yeah, so I would say that. So the most difficult thing has been 
figuring out how to build like systems of how to do things. So like mm -hmm. an order of operations, okay, how do we get, so if we have a member that's just a general member that's not on the board or, you know, a head of a committee, how are we going to, if they want to say, hey, like I want to have a blank, blank, blank at this school, how are we going to get that all the way up to our advisors? How are we going to, you know what I mean? Like process yeah. that idea. So I think the, the biggest thing is sort of figuring out the order of everything and putting mm -hmm. everything in one thing and utilizing everybody's talents so there are no holes because when there are that means i have to fill them as <laughs> that's the job of the president the yeah. yeah so you don't know what your job is that day you could be you know you could be a, a media manager that day you could be a editor that day who knows you know um right. so so yeah, so really being sure that every single person is often running with the right order of chain of communication, because a lot of the difficulties is just communication, like, you know, who wants to hear what, what's important to whom, which advisor wants to know what, it's just, it's all that more yeah. than it. Yeah, mm -hmm. bureaucracy kind of stuff, but it, it's got to, it's got to be done. It's got to be done right for an organization to run well. Exactly. And it's much easier to do face to face. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so since this is the horn call podcast, and I mean, it, it goes out to anybody that wants to listen, although it's probably mostly horn players and, and, you know, hopefully other enthusiasts, but um, you know, it's for sponsored by the international horn society. I, I, as an IHS member and someone that cares deeply about the horn and about music, where do you see an organization like the IHS and its members? How can we help um, uh, a group like Chromatic Brass? What, where, where do you see that that you know synergy or that that relationship going in the future? So, so our whole you know mission is to sort of change the idea of what a horn player looks like, or what a trumpet player looks like, or blank player looks like, and really to really drive home the point that there is no blank player, whatever you are. Um, so I would say, you know, as far as IHS goes, I mean, first of all, already doing the, the, you know, the bronze sponsorship and everything like that, that's already mm -hmm. great and giving us sort of a platform to say what we have to say. Um, I think definitely, you know, as we, as we go forward and have more and more, um, performers that are really willing to do that, you know, perhaps platforming them, that would be really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that some kind of program to get kids to IHS too would be mm -hmm. really awesome, you know, um, and I don't know if that would be through the school, but no, definitely through through us, that would be awesome too, mm -hmm. um, and the school. Yeah, I mean, in, in the longer term, I mean, I'd love, you know, to figure out instrument grants for students, I'd love mm -hmm. to figure out all these other kinds of things, but just whatever we need to do to sort of change that there is no set idea of what a horn player looks like. Right. So if that means we have to have more composers of whatever of color, that means we have to have more, you know, female, you know, brown horn players and platform them on a, maybe instead of a program with, you know, Denise Tryon and Stefan Dor, it could be Denise Tryon, Stefan Dor and third person, you know, sure. something, something like that. You know, I remember what was awesome about IHS 47, which was like the most mind melting part was when we did the Hollywood Bowl thing and they did Till all together uh -huh. and uh, concert stuff. And yes. Like All-star game of French horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the greatest hits. Like this is, you know, these are all my reference recordings. It's insane. Um, so yeah, something like that, you know what I mean? Maybe put one or two people on that stage, you know, stuff, stuff like that. I would just, you know, mm -hmm. ask myself 
at every single iota of how we develop IHS, can we put three or four or five or six non, you know what I mean? Sure. Or women in this situation. You know what I mean? That's, that's how I would say, because there's no one way. So it's, so how I like to think about it is it's just every, every level of the building. If that makes sense. Excellent. No, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Yasmin. Thank it's been a real me. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs>